The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Stocks coming off another day of losses as the major averages, they fall deeper into correction territory. Then on energy, we are tracking the fallout of the U.S. and the U.K. decisions to halt imports of Russian-made crude, where the West is now looking to shore up supplies. And the tech wreck, the Nasdaq now 20% below its most recent all-time high, plus no fix for Stitch. The online fashion retailer sinking in the pre-market. And later, China finding itself in the same boat as Europe as it scrambles for energy security amid surging prices. It is Wednesday, March 9th, 2022, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and happy Wednesday. I'm Frank Holland in for Brian Sullivan. We're kicking off your Wednesday morning with stock futures looking for a rebound. And so far, we're seeing signs of it right now. The Dow looking like it could pop as much as 400 points at the open. The S&P and the Nasdaq both a percent higher in the pre-market. Another week session yesterday that saw all the major indexes fall deeper into correction territory or down 10 percent or more from their most recent 52-week highs. Watching oil as well on the heels of the U.S. decision to ban all Russian oil imports. Crude coming off of its highest settle since 2008. You're seeing the numbers right here, all in the red a bit now. Our Bob Gasoline coming off of its highest settle ever. And this morning, as I just said, in the red a bit, our Bob down more than a percent. Brent and WTI down more than two percent. Now we turn our attention to metals as gold trades near its highest level since back in August of 2020. Right now we're seeing gold also down a percent, but you see platinum and palladium, they continue to surge. These are key commodities that come out the Russian-Ukraine area, and they've been trading higher ever since this conflict started. Green arrows over in Europe as well are Rosanna Lockwood. She's in our London newsroom with much more on that. Good morning, Rosanna. Good morning, Frank. And yeah, quite the turnaround here in Europe this morning. You're seeing a lot of green across the board. The broad stock 600 currently trading up by around just over 3%. And when you consider that so many of our bourses here have been heavily in the red the last few days as they have stateside, it's quite something. I'm just looking at the bottom end of the screen here and I'm seeing Glencore and Rio Tinto right at the bottom in the red. No big surprises, those miners, given what you just mentioned happening with metals out of the Russia-Ukraine region. Let's give you a look, though, at some of the European bourses and how they're stacking up because Germany in particular quite extraordinary. The DAX has been up by nearly 5% so far in this session. We have had some earnings out from German companies, pretty solid. The Cacahot, meanwhile, in France up 4.5%. Worth mentioning that French bank BNP Paribas has actually revealed its true scope of its nature, of its relationship with Russia in the last few hours or so and that has actually helped boost that stock higher and the same for Italian bank Unicredit. It seems like transparency is the order of the day here to help provide comfort to investors. The FTSE 
100, meanwhile, up nearly 2%. Uh, giving you a look as well at the sectors while we're here, we want to mention basic resources once again because the nickel story here in London still does continue. That benchmark uh, contract for nickel on the London Metal Exchange still suspended for the next few days. Last we checked until the 11th of March, but some saying it could go much beyond that. Meantime, oil and gas again down in the red by around 2%. And despite the spiking commodities prices, of course, it's a complex picture for the miners and for the energy giants right now as investors assess the true scope and nature of the sanctions imposed by the U.S., by the U.K. and other allies overnight. Uh, Rosanna, thank you very much. A lot of big moves there in Europe. Now turning our attention to Ukraine, the conflict that is now in its 14th day. Civilian casualties continue to rise as Russia steps up its attacks on city centers. But hope for those looking to get out of Ukraine this morning. According to government officials and the Red Cross, the Russian Federation has agreed to new evacuation routes with its military making a formal public commitment to a ceasefire during humanitarian corridors through previous commitments by Russian forces, though they were not met. This is the U.S. and the U.K. initiate bans on Russian oil imports, and Congress reaches a bipartisan deal to provide more than $13 billion to help Ukraine and assist Europe in what's become its biggest refugee crisis since World War II. Also this morning, ratings agency Fitch says it is downgrading Russia by six notches, setting a bond default as imminent. NBC's Bree Jackson joins us now from Washington with much more. Good morning, Bree. Good morning, Frank. Well, President Biden announced that ban on Russian oil after mounting pressure from both parties. And while it is expected to hit the heart of Russia's economy, sanctions so far have failed to stop Russian aggression. Defending freedom is going to cost. The U.S. hitting Russia with one of its toughest punishments yet. We're banning all imports of Russian oil and gas and energy. Oil and gas products account for 40 percent of Russia's revenue. However, the U.S. gets just 8 percent of its imports from there. President Biden acknowledges Americans could see additional increases in gas prices. I'm going to do everything I can to minimize Putin's price hike here at home. Republicans criticized the Biden administration for not boosting U.S. oil production sooner. We need to be ramping up. We need to be ramping up right now. McDonald's, Coca-Cola, Pepsi and Starbucks now joining a growing list of major U.S. companies pausing operations in Russia, striking another blow to Russia's economy. As the second week of war continues, Ukraine's president is vowing to fight to the end. We are looking for your help. Getting a standing ovation after an emotional speech to U.K.'s parliament. Ukrainians echoing his defiance. There is no way we're going to be under Russian uh, government. U.S. intelligence officials warn Vladimir Putin is growing frustrated and may intensify his assault. He's likely to double down and try to grind down the Ukrainian military with no regard for civilian casualties. Between 2,000 to 4,000 Russian soldiers have been killed so far, according to U.S. estimates. Still, Russia has 95 percent of its military power intact in Ukraine. And Congress is racing to provide close to $14 billion in aid to Ukraine. The measure includes money for humanitarian efforts, as well as to support Ukraine's economy and military. Frank. All right, Bree, thank you for the very latest. All right, and turning our attention back to the markets now, with stocks looking to make a bit of a comeback, futures extending gains over the past six hours. And joining us now to talk all about it is Anna Han, equity strategist at Wells Fargo Security. Anna, Anna, I'm sorry to mess up your name. Uh, is it Anna or Anna? I apologize. 
It's Anna. Anna, great to meet you. Thanks for waking up. Sorry about that. I want to jump right into this, though. Um, We're just following this news right now. The U.S. and U.K. banning Russian oil imports. We continue to see prices surging down off the highs that we saw right after that was announced, but still Brent crude at about 125 a barrel. Um, But as Bree Jackson just mentioned that report before, we only get about 8% of our oil imports from Russia, and we're trying to source from other countries like Venezuela. How long do you see this price impact here in the U.S., and how long do you think that it's going to take us to find these alternative sources or to ramp up domestic production? Oh, Frank, that is a big question. And that's one of the biggest things we're trying to really put a case scenario on. It's hard to make one assumption, but it really depends, one, on how the war plays out between Russia and Ukraine. What becomes the end of it? Is there a resolution? Is it uh, one side really uh, claiming victory over the other? And on top of that, then we need to consider where are we sourcing our supply from? It's no secret that energy shortage has been one of the bigger pushes of inflation here domestically in the U.S. and abroad. So for us, the solution to that really could be is is to get more supply, because even if we do tighten our monetary policy and do rate hikes, that doesn't directly address the energy issue. Yeah, you know, that's something a lot of people have been pointing out. I want to ask you about something else that I know that you're looking at stagflation as we see these uh, oil prices rise, gas prices rise. Are we in danger of stagflation in the near term? It's something that's on people's minds, especially when you see the yield curve and the, how quickly it has flattened. Now you're considering the Fed hiking the front while people are still a little bit uneasy. Well, I shouldn't say a little bit, quite uneasy uh, on how longer term growth prospects could be impacted by this war. Uh, it just brings into mind the potential possibility for stagflation. But I will say it's not our base case at this moment. Uh, the U.S. has recovered pretty strongly out of the COVID pandemic and continues to see positive growth. We continue to expect positive corporate earnings growth, but it's always something on our mind when we have this sort of uncertainty situation with what seems to be inflation ramping up. Before we let you go, I want to talk to you about what was the phrase of 2021 supply chain. You think there's some supply chain issues that may arise from not only the Ukraine conflict, but also the rise of the oil prices. Um, where do you see supply changes, supply chain changes happening globally? And And how big of a deal is reshoring production here in the U.S.? Uh, President Biden made a talking point in the State of the Union, but also globally. I think it's become more and more in focus. And this was even before the pandemic hit. We had uh, trade tensions between the U.S. and China. It became a point uh, for politically on both parties. So right now it's become even more of a concern and not just in the U.S., Having these domestic supplies uh, and and ability to produce at home is something that's become a global center for focus for everyone. So I think that's going to be pushed even more. Uh, And as we go forward, we're going to see the supply chains hopefully ease. There were indications before the war broke out that we were seeing lead times improve in certain parts of the market. But now, like you pointed out, with the situation geopolitically, things have gotten even more dicey. But that, again, is another driver inflation, another sore point, and another thing that's going to put the Fed in a very difficult position come next week. Anna, great insights. I really appreciate you being here. I promise I'll get your name right the first time next time. Thanks for being here. When we come back, unique insight on the U.S. hunt for new sources of oil with someone at the center of that search. Plus, why Russia's isolation from the West could strain Moscow's relationship with Beijing as well. A very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number 
and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Back to our top story and the fallout from the Biden administration's decision to ban all Russian oil, natural gas, and coal imports. The White House now on the hunt for new sources of crude to fill that small but significant supply gap. Reports late yesterday, the White House has been so far unsuccessful in coordinating with the Saudi Arabia and the UAE on that front. But there is apparent progress with Venezuela. The two countries holding their first formal talks in three years this week, after which the Maduro regime released a U.S. citizen that's been in prison there since 2018. The U.S. had been the biggest buyer of Venezuelan crude until the Trump administration closed diplomatic ties with Caracas back in 2019. Our own Brian Sullivan at Sierra Week in Houston spoke with one person at the center of those talks and one with unique inside knowledge of the ongoing negotiations. We are very pleased to be joined by Amos Hochstein. He is the uh, special envoy, president, special envoy in the State Department for Energy Security. Uh, Amos, thank you very much for joining us. Critical time, critical time. And I know there's probably certain things you're not going to be able to talk about, but I'm going to ask you anyway. Uh, can you give us an update or confirm anything that is occurring with U.S. talks with Venezuela regarding sanctions ending and greater output in Venezuela to mitigate the impact of the Russian oil sanctions? Well, first, Brian, thank you for having me. It's, uh, it is a really critical time with what's happening in, in the energy markets that, that are being influenced by the really tragic events that are happening in Ukraine with uh, Putin's brutal invasion. As we look at the impact on the market, uh, we're looking around the world to how can we mitigate the uh, effects of these dramatic events on the American economy, on the global economy, to ensure that the pain is felt by Putin and Russia and to the degree possible mitigate that in the United States. To do that, you got to look at what we can do in the oil markets, which are, of course are skyrocketing and, and causing some of that pain and dislocation. And to do that, we're looking around the world. However, it, we still have to do that within the context of our overall objectives and foreign policy. So uh, I know there's been a lot of press reporting on uh, Venezuela. I think that there's, uh, we haven't made any decisions on Venezuela, there's not been any uh, affirmative discussions on those things. So I think uh, we'll have to see how things go, but at the moment there's no decision. Uh, are there talks going on? Are there th can you confirm that we, that we are even in the process of talking or discussing with Venezuela this prospect? Uh, not at the moment. I, I, I think it's a bit early to have any of that kind of conversation. So I, I can't really discuss anything we're talking about. With we, we did speak with the president of Colombia, who said they want to punish the Maduro regime. They do not like the Maduro regime. He's a brutal dictator, caused suffering. But they also have a humanitarian crisis in Colombia. Is there any way that, that if you could, in a perfect world, frame it, we could accomplish 
multiple goals at the same time, where we're not helping bad people like Maduro, but at the same time we're reducing the human toll from Ukraine, uh, Colombia, etc. Is there a mix? Look, that, that it's possible that there is a mix. We have to look at it. We're having those conversations. This is not an easy situation. You know, we have yeah. multiple complex crises around the world. The relationship at the same with, time. At the same time. And the relationship with Maduro is a complicated one as well. And uh, we have to, I, I think it's going to have to go into the broader relationship. And I think everybody knows what our goals are. Uh, we are glad to see that he's coming back to the peace talks, but I, I think that there's uh, a lot more to uh, discuss there and figure out and no time soon. Energy security has become the buzz phrase of the last couple of months. And, you know, but if you look back through history, you say, OK, well, maybe we could have seen some of this coming. If we could start to fix things now for the future, obviously, we have to get through this crisis. Putin needs to end his unwinnable and, and unimaginable and foolish war against the people of Ukraine, and he will lose. Uh, what can what changes should we start making now for the future? Well, you know, Brian, I was in the Obama administration ten years ago. I was talking about energy security. It just wasn't as uh, a much of a buzzword then that it was today. And the truth is that a lot already happened during those years. We reverse flowed a number of pipelines in Europe, built new infrastructure in Europe. Uh, added an, uh, all kinds of outlets with the one goal in mind at the time. Uh, we saw the terrible dependence of certain European countries on energy supplies from Russia, which was a legacy from the Cold War. He owned all these infrastructure pieces that were built in the Cold War. It divided Europe East versus West in energy. We need to build on that right now. And when Europe understands that it's dependency, this is it. We cannot have this dependency anymore. And I will tell you, Vladimir Putin thought he was going to have a fractured EU, a fractured relationship between the United States and Europe, and he got the opposite. He got a stronger NATO, stronger EU, and stronger transatlantic relationship. So we're, going to, we're working already together with the EU to address these issues. That means yep. that you cannot have that much gas coming from Russia to Europe there has to be more diversification uh, that we see that. And we worked very hard in January and February to ensure that we had a surge of LNG from the United States and other places to go to Europe because we anticipated, we knew what the intelligence was, yeah. and we knew what this vulnerability was, but it's not enough. We have to do a lot more, we have to invest more, and we have to do it in a smart way. Oh, am I hearing that, that, that U.S. natural gas, which is a fossil fuel, dinosaur juice, uh, maybe a part of this, even with the climate goals, net zero, even with some of these uh, bold climate ambitions of the White House, uh, that there is a role for U.S. most likely natural gas industry to help participate in breaking Putin's grip over Europe. Uh, I would say yes, and that's a reality already. Uh, if you look, Putin started this war, preparing for this war several months before the war. From last June, he undersupplied Europe he with cut gas. Back the flows, yeah. Cut back flows. Storage went almost to zero in parts of Germany. Gazprom storage in Germany was literally at zero when the winter hit. So the goal was to have Europe in a major economic crisis, major energy crisis, when he started his invasion. We saw that coming. We started working publicly and privately with Europe to make sure that there were additional supplies coming into Europe before the war started, so that storage levels were higher. And you saw an enormous amount of American LNG, Qatari LNG, others 
uh, diverted away from Asia and coming into Europe that enabled a stable winter. We got lucky a little bit also yeah. with a warmer winter uh, than, than average, but that is, uh, that is the role the United States is playing. President Biden issued a letter together with the President of the EU just a few weeks ago stating that we are the largest LNG player in the world and our role is to support our European allies during this time. All right, thanks again to Brian Sullivan. Much more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange and still on deck this morning's big money movers, including why shares of Stitch Fix, they're sinking in the pre-market. Plus, insider trading alert, new concerns over Microsoft's bid to buy Activision and the VIP cast of characters that may have made some quick cash on the news. Now the government is investigating. Stay with us. Today's big number, $1,000. That's how much more it will cost manufacturers to make an electric vehicle due to the surge in the price of nickel, according to an estimate by Morgan Stanley. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because, If I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free, confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. All right, let's get to some of your big money movers now. Savannah Hanau is here with more on that. Hey, Savannah. Hey, Frank. Thanks. So we're going to start with shares of Stitch Fix plummeting in the pre-market. After the company cut guidance for the year, the online styling service and retailer saying it is struggling to grow its subscriber base and is seeing challenges onboarding new clients. Stitch Fix recently introduced an option for consumers to purchase individual items from the site without a subscription. Now we go over to shares of XBO Logistics. They're soaring. The company says it will focus solely on trucking and spin off or sell its other businesses. XBO will spin off its high-tech truck brokerage business, which will become a separate publicly traded entity. And don't miss Frank's interview with chairman and CEO of XPO, Brad Jacobs, at 710 Eastern. Shares of Bumble are popping despite missing on its quarterly revenues and posting weak guidance for the first quarter. Within that guidance, there was more context from the dating app on its decision to make its apps unavailable in Russia. And the U.S. is reportedly probing options trades that gained on Microsoft's acquisition of Activision Blizzard. The Wall Street Journal says Barry Diller, his stepson Alexander von Fustenberg, and David Geffen made large bets on Activision in January, just days before the deal was announced. 
The DOJ and SEC want to know if any of the men acted on non-public information. In an interview with the Journal, Diller confirmed he was contacted by regulators, but said, quote, it was simply a lucky bet. We acted on no information of any kind from anyone. It is just one of those coincidences, Frank. All right, Samana, thanks for those big money movers. All right, let's turn our attention back to the global energy story now and a new narrative shaping up for the biggest buyer of Russian crude. Our own Yunus Yoon joins us now from Beijing with much more. Hey, Yunus. Hey, Frank. Well, China's foreign ministry uh, stressed and criticized uh, the U.S. and U.K. oil ban, uh, stressing that China would continue to have normal trade with Russia, including on oil and gas. Now, uh, the ongoing um, legislative council, um, legislative session has really been focusing a lot on how China uh, really needs to protect its energy security. So in terms of the actual prices, refined oil prices have hit a 10-year high with wholesale gas prices up 30 percent this year, Diesel up nearly 16 percent, and that's even with government controls. The Stats Bureau has also said that the higher prices are pushing up producer prices, even though factory gate inflation did ease in February. So with all that in mind, China, as the world's largest oil importer, has been trying to make sure that it has enough supply. A China state planner has reportedly ordered state firms to hunt for more supplies in the global market, uh, also to drive hard bargains with uh, their best friend Russia, and then to explore investments in Russian assets. So uh, uh, the reports have been saying that these are very exploratory discussions um, with uh, companies such as Sinopec. Uh, Sinopec has declined to comment on these reports. Uh, But there are a lot of reasons, Frank, why the Chinese might not want to get involved or at least increase their stakes in some of these assets. One, I'm told by uh, some veterans in the industry that Russian companies are notorious in terms of uh, trying to manage. And also, China likes to rely a lot on itself. So it would want to be much more self-reliant in this regard. So, Eunice, I know how we're reacting to higher gas prices here in the U.S. and higher oil prices. Everybody's kind of groaning about it in China. How are consumers handling these recent price spikes? People are groaning about it, um, maybe not as loudly as in the United States. Uh, currently, at least in Beijing, the gas price is at $4.80 a gallon. So um, it's a 16% hike since the start of the year. So people are really worried about it, especially those um, who are managing factories, worried about the overall impact. And that's another thing that's starting to come up now, that uh, perhaps uh, the, the government is going to really push hard on state firms to um, share... Like, cut out some of their profits in order to make sure that these prices stay cheaper at the pump. All right, our Eunice Yoon with the very latest out of Beijing. Thank you again. All right, ahead, we're tracking the tech wreck and the stocks, our next guest says, are a buy at these levels. Worldwide Exchange, right back. Stocks looking to stop their slide and pull out of correction territory. Futures are pointing to a bounce back. A rift emerging among NATO members over Ukraine as Vice President Harris heads to Europe to meet with allies. We're live on the ground in Ukraine with the latest. And the Biden administration working to combat surging oil and gas prices. What energy leaders are telling CNBC the White House needs to do to get prices under control. It is Wednesday, March 9th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. 
And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Collin, in for Brian Sullivan. Here's how stock futures are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. hour here in the New York City area. We see right here uh, futures up in the green all across the board. Uh, The Dow right now looking poised to pop about 500 points at the open. The S&P up almost 2 percent. The Nasdaq up over just 2 percent. Dow futures actually extending gains over the past three hours. And a quick crypto check. Haven't talked about it so far today, but we see right now, wrong chart, but crypto also up right now. I just checked a bit ago, Bitcoin up 9%. We're going to continue to watch crypto all day. Now we're turning our attention to the latest on Ukraine. Vice President Harris set to depart in the next few hours for Europe. We'll show meet with leaders in Poland and Romania on the next steps in the West response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine. This coming as civilian casualties, they continue to mount as Russia intensifies its attacks on city centers. But this morning, Ukraine announcing fresh evacuation plans, saying routes out of several cities have been agreed upon with Russia and the Red Cross. NBC's Molly Hunter joins us now from Lviv in western Ukraine. Molly? Frank, good morning. That's right. Cautious optimism again for these humanitarian corridors, which have thus far failed to provide safe passage for civilians. Uh, So our information from the ICRC, from the International uh, Committee for the Red Cross, they are the neutral body brokering the ceasefire between uh, the Russians and the Ukrainians, is that 5,000 people got out of a northeastern city called Sumy. Today, they have apparently agreed on six other routes in five cities, including Sumy and Mariupol, that southeastern city that we have been talking so much about, which has been under constant Russian bombardment. And additionally, a route into Kyiv, five surrounding suburbs into Kyiv. We also heard that uh, from the Red Cross, 3,000 people got out of Irpin. Uh, That hasn't been an official humanitarian corridor. We're really watching, though, as humanitarian aid is trying to make its way into Mariupol. Our understanding is that from the ICRC, people, civilians, will then get on those same uh, buses and trucks and try to make their way out of Mariupol. Frank? Molly, thank you. Uh, Molly, a lot to talk about. Uh, A key southern port. The city of Maripol under constant siege. What can you tell us? Yeah. Yeah, we've been talking about it all week. We've been really looking at it. Civilians have not been able to get out. Uh, It's a city of 450,000, according to the Red Cross. At least 200,000 of those civilians are in dire need of safe passage out. They are living without electricity, without water, uh, without any heat. Now, like I mentioned, our understanding is that there is humanitarian aid going in. Yesterday, there were reports that that humanitarian uh, cargo uh, corridor was fired upon. But if it all goes according to plan, if the Russians do not shell that civilian passageway this morning, there should be civilians getting on those buses and those trucks heading out of Mariupol. I got to say, though, Frank, everyone, all those humanitarian corridors really putting people still in the north, kind of north central, uh, east central part of the country. They really want to get west to where I am. This is where the relative safety is. uh, And this is where the bouncing off point, the departure point is to get into the rest of Europe. Frank. All right. Molly Hunter with the very latest. Thank you for that report. Sticking with the war in Ukraine and the Biden administration's decision to ban Russian crude imports and the global energy market fallout. Our Brian Sullivan has been speaking this week with key people on the front lines of the fight to shore up crude supplies here at home and overseas. I think there's a sense of urgency about this. Um, We are in active discussions with our allies. Um, As you know, we just did a release of uh, 60 million barrels collectively as a collective action with the Uh, International Energy Agency last week, and uh, we will be having further discussions both uh, internally to the U.S. but also with our allies. Basically, the oil market now is in the intensive care unit, and uh, we need to act. The U.S. and the IEA need to announce a release of 120 million 
barrels uh, from the strategic petroleum reserves. He needs to go to Saudi, take a trip immediately, and reestablish relationships with Saudi. Secondly, he needs to support our industry. Only the U.S. shell industry can help solve this long term, and the Saudis and the UAE. And joining me now with more is Jerry Bailey, chairman at Bailey Energy and former Exxon Arabian Gulf president. Jerry, thank you for being here. Good morning. So obviously, you know this sector all too well. Um, What can we do here in the U.S. right now to deal with the fact that while it's only 8 percent of imports is clearly having an impact of uh, uh, on the global oil market and the global energy market? What here in the U.S. can we do just to mitigate the impact of rising prices? Well, the first thing with action was finally taken yesterday. I was disappointed that it took so long for the administration to uh, announce to ban the imports of Russian oil. That sends a, a, a good signal. But primarily, we need to reopen our own industry. It's a shame that we're sitting on so much oil and so much opportunity, and the administration has helped us back. Uh, we have people that are ready to go to work. We have plenty of resources. Uh, We need to get that oil into the market. And thirdly, of course, we still need to release the restrictions on the XL pipeline. Most of our imported oil comes via Canada, and we certainly need to make sure we have those uh, avenues open and flowing for us. So uh, you're of the opinion that we're about 50 years away from no longer needing oil. So obviously in the the present time, we definitely need oil. Um, I'm looking at some stats that you sent us. You said when things were booming, there were 1,800 rigs pulling oil in the U.S., now it's being chopped down to a third, about 600. Um, can we ramp up production? And what kind of timetable is there for that to happen? Well, it's not one set number, but those numbers are correct. We have plenty of rigs available that need to be put into uh, action. And some things can happen literally in days or weeks. And then other developments, of course, can take months. Um, but you have to start somewhere. And we have put ourselves in such a hole there's been several comments made uh, from the administration lately that, that show they're not in touch with what's really happening. We are. I heard yesterday's statements that we were increasing or we were at, at the highest levels. That's not correct. We're a million barrels of production a day from over about 12.3 down to 11.3 since this administration took over. We've got, we can't keep going that way. Our, our, our people need the energy. Uh, people need food. They need shelter and they need energy. And for the near future, um, oil and gas are the most cost effective sources of that energy. And I'm not against alternative sources, but we're, we're sending a message to our population that this is all we can do. And the world looks for us for the leadership, which we are not getting. And I've heard the energy secretary speak. She is not competent in this area and she's really just pushing green energy and that, that's not the message that people that uh, go into the pump want to hear because these prices are just, just eating people alive. Well, clearly you're critical of the U.S. response to this situation, but let's talk globally. You just were talking about it and, and kind of focus yeah. more on uh, your part of the world that you, you worked in very closely. Uh, OPEC, uh, what can OPEC do to increase supplies and hurt and uh, not hurt uh, to reduce some of the uh, rising prices? Well, I think that they're going to contribute to. Uh, as much as really feasible, they uh, they do not <clears throat> excuse me. <clears throat> they do not want to see the world go into a collapse, and that's not their intent. But on the other hand, they really control where oil and oil prices go because they have so much of it. 
I think that uh, they're trying to be very pragmatic about it. They want to keep producing oil. They want to keep the prices at a reasonable range. But I do not believe that the Middle East is looking for prices that, uh, that we're now seeing. Their budgets are based on around 75 to $80 a barrel. And as long as we're in numbers above that, they're going to be uh, content. They want uh, prosperity, but they want stability as well. You know, stability is something we all want. It's been a, a pretty tumultuous year already with a number of things happening. Um, you mentioned that nobody really wants uh, oil where it's at right now. I'm looking right now at Brent. It's about 126. Where yeah. do you see it reaching before this entire situation resolves itself? Well, if I had that uh, crystal ball, I'd be a wealthy man, I guess. But uh, I think it's going to go higher. It really will. I, I don't know where. Um, I, I was surprised when it reached the levels that it did. I was uh, on record of saying a few weeks ago I didn't. I thought 100 would be a pretty big number. But uh, we could very well uh, st- uh, level out here, or we could possibly go up to 140 again. Uh, I don't know about that, but we, we do need to bring it under control. And the only way to do that is you know, supply and demand. And demand is, is still really uh, high, but the supply has got to be enforced. And uh, we can take care of the where we need to be with energy. We were independent just a few years ago. We can get back to that, but not under the restrictions and the restraints that we now see. And I think the global market will follow us and look to us for that leadership. We can help out Europe. We can ease that, that pain. And uh, I, I think there's solutions, but it takes some very uh, wise folks and, and willingness to do that. Jerry Barely, former Exxon Arabian Gulf president. We appreciate the insight. Thanks for being here. Coming up on Worldwide Exchange, the tech wreck showing little sign of letting up as even the biggest names find themselves under increasing pressure. We lay out the stocks that may be the best buys once the dust settles when Worldwide Exchange returns. All right, welcome back. The tech sector has had a pretty rough go of it, and that was true even before the war in Ukraine cast a shadow over the entire market. The Nasdaq now in a bear market, down more than 20 percent from its record intraday high set back in November. There haven't been too many places to hide other than Apple, which is down about 2 percent since then. Alphabet down 14 percent. Microsoft roughly 20 percent. Amazon 26 percent. And NVIDIA down 34 percent. And those are the good declines. Using air quotes, you can't see. Meta's down 45%, Netflix down nearly 50%, Zoom 57%, Robinhood almost 60%, Affirm 75%. I think you're starting to see the trend. In all, half of the Nasdaq stocks are down at least 50% from their 52 weeks high. Let's bring in Paul Meeks, Portfolio Manager at Independent Wealth Solutions. Paul, thanks for being here. Good morning, Frank. So we're just highlighting it. Uh, <laughs> a lot of declines there. Apple, kind of the only one that's even close to flat. Why has Apple been spared from this tech wreck? Well, Apple had a surprisingly strong quarter. A lot of people thought that Apple was going to slow down both top line and bottom line and really was a breath of fresh air last quarter. And of course, I imagine going forward that they're going to be impacted by the same geopolitical events as everybody else, but they are a relative shelter in the storm. So I'm still a better buyer of Apple. So you also have some stock picks. I want to get to them. Speaking of geopolitical events, um, some of your stock picks are Palo Alto and Datadog, cyber and cloud stocks, obviously really in the spotlight, especially after that Google deal yesterday to acquire Mandiant. But you also have a number of chip makers on your list. You're saying you wouldn't buy them right now unless somebody wants to buy. And if you do buy, it's a long term hold. I want to talk about those chip makers. How do you see them being impacted just by commodities that come out of the Russia-Ukraine area? We're talking about neon, nickel, palladium and platinum. 
So if you put uh, the fear of God in any of their customers, you know, that's going to slow down their end markets. And then they're still being impacted by the supply chain crunch. You wouldn't think a semiconductor company, which you would think is one of the leaders of the supply chain crunch, would be impacted. But they all are impacted one way or another. Like a good example is uh, Micron, which is one of my favorite picks, MU. And they make uh, memory chips. But their memory chips go into modules with non-memory chips. And the problem is their customers and Micron can't get the necessary non-memory chips to supplement their products. And so they can't ship as much as they'd like. And so, yes, even these companies are impacted by supply chain malfunction. So right now we're looking at, you know, the Russia-Ukraine war, obviously a very serious situation, the most important thing, the loss of life. Um, but clearly it's impacting the market. But we've kind of turned a blind eye to the other thing that impacts a lot of these tech companies and high growth stocks, rising interest rates. The 10-year yield right now at 1.9 percent, um, not historically high, but certainly high for recent years. Yeah, I'm hoping that uh, that's all baked into the stock prices. You know, we'll get our next read from the Federal Reserve Board only a week uh, from today on March 16th. But you must admit that if inflation is rising and inflation has a big component of energy and the energy uh, situation has only got worse with the potential cutoff of uh, energy supply from Russia, that, yeah, inflation could get worse. Yeah, the Fed would have to raise rates uh, more quickly and more steeply in response. And yeah, that would continue to ding tech stocks. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these high growth stocks obviously hit by rising interest rate pressure. I want to circle back to what you call good declines. You're going to have to, to describe or explain that to a lot of people, because obviously people really bought into tech during the pandemic. And now they're seeing these big declines. Why are these good declines as opposed to bad declines? So I think it's going to set up a, uh, a great opportunity off the bottom. And I'm not committing too much capital today because I can't call the bottom when uh, Putin is in charge of the bottom. But uh, we will have some opportunities. Now, it won't be everybody because some of these tech stocks, frankly, got really expensive and they were actually uh, driven by goodies provided by COVID. Like a lot of them benefited from the remote work theme. And of course, that'll go away as the uh, Omicron or whatever variant follows it subsides. But there are some names that have been absolutely beaten that are high quality. And will they come back to their egregious prices uh, prior to the pandemic? Probably not. But man, that doesn't mean that they can't bounce 100 percent off their bottoms. Well, speaking of the bottom right now, we're seeing the Nasdaq up just about 2 percent right now in the pre-market. Did we already see the bottom or do you think there's somewhere lower that we could actually go? Boy, Frank, I'd love to make that call, but I don't have any confidence. I hope so, but I don't have any confidence in the call. So if I even see the market rally today and then rally in ensuing days, I still am not a believer until, A, we get through what the Fed has to say on March 16th. We only have to wait seven days for that. And B, I don't need to see a resolution of the conflict on the Western Front, but I need to have a little bit more confidence about the wind down. Paul Meeks, we appreciate the insight. Great stuff. All right, on yes, deck sir. here on Worldwide Exchange, stocks looking to reverse course on their continued skid. G-Squares, Victoria Green lays out why she says the bears have not taken control of the markets amid this pullback. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. And Worldwide Exchange, we'll be right back.
And welcome back to Worldwide Exchange and back to the markets. Stocks looking to bounce back after yesterday's choppy session. Right now, futures in the green across the board. The Dow looks poised to pop about 450 points at the open as investors are grappling with surging commodity prices on top of the Ukraine invasion, inflation and the Fed's rate hike strategy kicking off next week. For much more on this, let's bring in Victoria Green, Chief Investment Officer at G Squared Private Wealth. Victoria, thanks for waking up. Absolutely, Frank. Happy to be here. So I know you're of the mindset that the conflict over in Russia and Ukraine isn't going to have a giant impact on the market, but it is having a big impact on oil and the oil market. How do the two combine, uh, you know, impact our, our outlook for today? Yeah, certainly oil over this price is not sustainable and it's terrible for our economy. It's good for oil, U.S. oil producers, and we like the EMP space and we're overweight energy. But there's no doubt that it, the commodity prices in this uh, this high elevated range and staying in this high elevated range over $100 a barrel is horrible for the economy. It's going to put a little gasoline on the fire. Terrible fun on our inflation uh, situation we have right now. Uh, and we just have to be careful about what the effect is on the consumer. Strong consumer right now has led the way for the economy and given us a hope that we can avoid a recession. Cannot be agnostic to 1991 or the 2008 drag that oil prices hitting the 120s had on the economy. So I know you're of the mindset that uh, oil markets are hot and they're going to probably continue to be hot for the rest of the first half of the year. And you also have some stock picks. Uh, If you're looking at stocks that can, uh, I guess, take advantage of this situation, what are your picks? And is there a best in class? Certainly. Well, we like Devon. Devon's our best in class pick. We like the Permian oil plays, the EMPs there, Devon, EOG, Diamondback, even Pioneer. Uh, we like people that have low break evens, great acreage. Uh, we do think there's going to be a shifting of how the world does supply and demand for oil. Right now, you may see Venezuela coming back online, which shocked all of us that the U.S. government is talking to Venezuela. But remember, we import and export crude. There's this delicate balance. So as this world shifts, we're going to maybe see uh, more crude from Russia go to China and India. And we maybe retain more U.S. American drill crude. However, you got the sweet, sour balance and what refiners can do. But we really like the U.S. EMP space. And, and we think it's a good place to shelter as commodity prices spike. You know, for a lot of pandemic, we saw a big boom for uh, high growth tech stocks, especially. Where do you see the opportunities at now? Is it value? Is it growth? And what factors make a good stock either way? Uh, we like value right now. Uh, we think the growth stocks, some of them uh, were priced to perfection, very difficult for them in a rising rate environment, and they just can't afford to miss. Uh, you can't be agnostic. Also, the Russian sanctions are probably going to stick around for a while. And you've seen multiple companies completely pull out of there. You know, McDonald's, Pepsi, um, everybody stopping selling their products, Samsung, Amazon. Those are going to drag. So yeah, if you have a high multiple stock and now you're learning at, looking at some sort of EPS drag, even if it's only one or two percent of, of sales, I think some of those stocks are going to see difficult earnings season. So we like the value stocks. We like the cyclicals. And we think U.S. large cap value is a very good place for advisors to kind of bunker in, tend to have better cash flows, higher quality. And during times of stress, you want people that can absorb the stress, you know, use their balance sheet if they have to, have access to financing and and generally aren't priced in a way that if they have some sort of slowdown, that they're going to take a major stock hit. All right, we got to get out of here in just a second, Vicky. But I want to ask you, um, you're saying it's all about the value trade right now. But are we talking big cap value, small cap value? Is there a difference right now? Uh, we still like the large caps. Small caps do have attractive valuation, and we're looking at them as, as a smaller allocation. But but generally, right during times of stress, big old ugly, great place to be. <laughs> big old ugly. That, that's a phrase I haven't heard too many times. Victoria Green, we appreciate the insight as always. That does it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box is coming up next.
You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.